What's up, everybody? Are we good? Is the Lord good? Yeah. Can I get off the stage with the worship band continue to roll? Yeah. Yeah. Hey to the man on that, man. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm good with it, man. I'm good with it. I'm totally good with it. Listen, my name is Chris. I'm not the I'm not your normal um, teaching pastor here. That's Casey. It's just a, it's an honor for me to get to come and hang with you guys today as we finish up um, the story. So if you've been if you've been tracking with that, like um, the good news is, is that man, if if, if you if you're a first time guest today and you hate this, awesome. I won't be back next week. <laughs> All right. So you got to come back in here, Casey, who's here most of the time. And so, man, again, just my honor to be here. Love the freedom and worship in this place. Um, I love how there is a freedom here. I don't know if you guys know that, man, but there is a freedom here um, in this house that's not found in a lot of places. And so, man, like cherish that. Cherish it and use it. Is that cool? And as we're walking through this, I'm going to get to get into the word here. Um, we're in the life of Paul, actually, and what we're at is at the end of Paul, all right? And so I'm going to be teaching out of the um, first chapter of 2 Timothy. Now, if you were raised in church, raise your hand here, all right? Lots of you guys raised in church. So here's the deal. Like, if you're, if you're a part of that and you're like, man, Chris, you're speaking out of Timothy, well, you know that First and Second Timothy are known as the pastoral letters, right? So, like, this is Paul writing to Timothy about how to take care of the church, all right? So it's like Paul talking to Timothy and telling him how to take care of people. Does that make sense? And so here's the deal. Like, if you're from that mindset that the only people that are pastors are the people who work for the church, man, you bought into a lie. And it's easy to do that because this is the way it's proclaimed out in the church. Well, he's a pastor and you're an architect. Or he's a pastor and you're an engineer. Or he's a pastor and you work in IT. But here's the truth of it. The last time I checked in the New Testament, this is what Jesus says about you. You're part of a royal priesthood. You're part of a holy nation, right? He lives in you just like he lives in me. And so what's the difference between you and I? Jesus. If he's living in you and he's living in me, there's nothing the difference between you and I. Nothing. Now, if he's not living in you, then there's a clear difference between us. Like there's an eternal, some would say there's an eternal difference between you and I. But other than that, the only thing that separates my life from yours is a stage. And that's it. We're all pastors. If there's people in your life at all, you're a pastor. Grandma, grandpa, mother, father, co-workers, you're a pastor. Friends, like if you have friends in your life, like you're a pastor. Like you're going to pastor somebody. And so this becomes clear for us when Paul writes these two letters. And so at any point in this, you're like, man, Chris, this wasn't written to me. It was just written to you, Chris, because you're a pastor. I will tell you, man, that you bought into something that's not true. And every word in here is directly written to you. Cool? All right. And so, man, as we get into the word, I'm just going to ask the Lord to come sit with us. Father, you are good. God, I would ask that you don't just let me screw this up. Like, Lord, if I'm about to say something that's stupid and ignorant and not of you, then, Lord, I need you to shut it down. And, Father, the things that are good and right and of you, Lord, let them come out with even more, more power. Lord, I would ask that you allow me to preach for your glory, because I'm here one day and I'm dust the next. But you go on forever. One day I'll hang with you in a new body. But until that point, Lord, just let me preach for your glory. Protect their ears 
from anything that I've said, stupid, Lord, protect them. But, Lord, open them up for whatever you want them to hear today. And everyone in this house said, amen. And so if you got your Bible, 2 Timothy, first chapter, first verse, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. All right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So, so let me just, let's just pause in this for just a second. Like if you read any of Paul's letters, he always calls himself an apostle. Anybody know why? I'm glad you asked. All right? Paul always calls himself an apostle because by definition, when they called themselves an apostle, it means they had seen the risen Lord with their own eyes. All right? You are not an apostle unless you've seen the risen Lord with your own eyes. And even then, I would say, hold on, man, you got to walk with him too. And so Paul's clearly saying here, here's the deal. I'm an apostle. Like I saw the risen Savior. Even though he blinded me, I saw him. Right? So that's what Paul's doing. And so he's making a statement towards everybody else because people are always on Paul. He calls them super apostles, meaning people who were getting kind of paid or, or they were preaching for their own glory or whatever. Paul was always having to say, here's the deal. I know who I am and I know who I'm served. And so I start this letter off that way every time. I am an apostle, an ambassador of Christ to preach the good news. Every time you read his letters, he starts that way. But here's what he does different in this text. He says, in keeping with the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. You won't find this in any other letter. Like he just moves on. He starts going grace and peace and mercy to you. But in this text, he says, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Anybody want to know why he does this? Man, I'm glad you asked. Awesome. So here's the story. Do we have anybody in this room who's 10? All right. Can I get your name? Mabel. All right, so Mabel, here's kind of how Paul's life would work, okay? So at the age of 10, he was handpicked. So when he's your age, he's handpicked by this awesome teacher named Gamaliel. So Gamaliel comes over to Paul's house, and he's like, hey, Mabel, I'm, I'm picking you. I want you to come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to, how to know the Word and to know your Savior. And so you say yes, and the next 10 years of your life, actually the next 15 years of your life, you're learning and memorizing the entire Old Testament under this great teacher named Gamaliel, right? That's how this thing kind of works. So Paul, at the age of 10, comes into this place, and for the next 16 years of his life, he's taught all of this stuff. Like, if you read him, like, he becomes a Pharisee at the age of 26. Anybody 26 years old in here? Sweet. Close, plus or minus, yeah. So at the age of 26, right, I'm not going to give you my age, but 14 years ago, I would have been a Pharisee at the age of Paul. I would have had the entire Old Testament memorized, and I would have walked with a teacher for 16 years, the greater part of my life. And what Paul goes on to say is that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, meaning that he was like number one in his class, trained by the greatest teacher of the time. Now, here's what happens. At the age of 27, he witnesses the first stoning of the church. So he's standing guard. Stephen comes out. They persecute the church, and he gives his recommendation that they kill him at the age of 27. 27 years old, he's saying, it's okay for you guys to kill them. In fact, let me hold your coat as you do it. 
For the next two years, Paul's life, 28 and 29, it says he goes from house to house with letters from the leaders, dragging them out and publicly persecuting or killing them at the age of 28 and 29. Somewhere around this time, 29 and 30, he's on the road to Damascus. The Lord himself appears to him and blinds him. Everything shifts, all right? Now, historically, from this point, we know he travels into town. They wash the, the scales off his eyes. He's able to see again, and then people start teaching him who Jesus is. Now, historically, as best as we know, it says at the age of 32 now, he travels to Damascus and Jerusalem and then returns to his homeland where they think he began to preach the gospel to his family. This is where he begins to take his first public beatings, all right, the age of 32, we lose sight of him again until Barnabas tracks him down in 46 B.C., which would make Paul about 41 years old. So somewhere in 10 years from the age of 32 to 41, he goes into hiding. Some say he's in a cave because he's tried to preach the gospel and it's ended really badly for him. And so Barnabas, if you know, goes after him. You read that story in Acts. Barnabas tracks him down, convinces him to get back into the game. And so from the age of 41 into his young 60s, he would become one of the greatest missionaries we ever knew. He would be stoned, beaten, left for dead, hit with rods, receive 39 lashes five times, be kidnapped, attacked by an angry mob, shipwrecked, floating at sea for 24 hours, bitten by poisonous snakes. He would spend five of his last eight years alive in prison. And so when he's writing this letter, towards the end of his life, in his, late, in his early 60s, this is the last one he writes. It's the last story he writes. And so now you know, like he's, so at this time, in this prison that he's in, like he's on death row, all right? And so like, it's not like your death row where you go and you hang out and you get food and they hand you all this stuff. Like he's lowered basically down into a pit, pitch black. He's lowered just enough to get his body down in there and they would just throw food on top of him when it was time for him to eat. Cold, wet, dark. And in fact, this is it. Like, this is what's, they've, they've kind of made it into a place that you can pilgrimage to. But he spends his last two years in this hole, waiting to die. And so now you understand why he starts off his letter differently than everyone else when he says, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, because his life doesn't look too hot right now. Does this make sense? Are you, everybody with me so far? All right. And so here we go. Verse 2, to Timothy, my dear son. Now we know Paul did not really have a son. Like this isn't his blood relative, okay? But yet he uses these words, my dear son. Let me ask you, anybody in this room, are you walking with anybody spiritually that you get to say, this is my dear son? What I'm fixing to push into you on is a, is a combat against the American dream. Like this is going to go countercultural to everything you know, but Jesus says this is the way to abundant life. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestor did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Now let's talk about this for a second. He's like, I thank God for my ancestors, for my fathers in the faith, for the people who stood in top of me and taught me how to walk this life out in spite of the fact that I used to kill some of them. 
says, here's the deal. He goes, I thank God for them. Because because they invested into my life, because they invested into somebody's life who invested into my life, now I'm able to live a free life for the gospel. And you may look at him and say, Chris, he's not living a free life for the gospel because he's in chains and he's in prison and he's in Rome. But listen to his heart as he speaks. Like we're going to unpack him, all right? Like this is not from a man who's beat down. And here's what he says. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Like he's remembering back, like he, he walked with these people in such a deep way. Like if you want to read this story, you can read it in Acts. Paul's like, I'm going to Rome to preach the gospel. And his friend said, please don't do that. Like if you go to Rome, you're going to die. And Paul says, so what? And so a man comes and he takes a piece of rope and he ties it around his arms and he said, Paul, if you go, this is what you're going to look like. And he's like, guys, Quit trying to convince me not to go because it is the will of God that I go here and do this. And if I die, then I'm going to heaven. And so let it be. And then what you read is it said they wept and prayed with each other. Like the deepest kind of relationship that you can have. Like when was the last time we did this with people? Like when was the last time you had a relationship so deep in your life that you would weep and pray with them? Because I'm telling you, man, this is the way to abundant life. I know what you're saying. You're going, Chris, this makes no sense. And I get it. But it doesn't mean we don't preach it. Because you can have it. And here's the deal. This church is teaching it how to be done. And if you don't know how, stay here until they teach you how so that you can do it with others. Yeah? And so we move on further. And this is awesome. Verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. So he's talking to, his, talking to his dear son, Timothy, and he's like, listen, here's the deal. He goes, I'm reminded as I sit here in jail of the faith of your grandmother and the faith of your mom and now the faith that now lives in you. Now let me ask you a question. In Roman times, the man was the head of the house. He had complete authority. Like when you read letters, it talks about just men. Like this letter is written to men. Like women weren't even allowed to be a witness. So why in the world does he not mention the, parent, the men of the house and speaks only to the women? Like it's an automatic flag that something's up here. He's like, I'm, I'm not reminded of your grandpa. I'm not reminded of your dad. Here's what I'm reminded of, your grandma and your mother, and now I'm persuaded that the faith that they have still lives in you. So what happened here? Like where's dad? Where's grandpa? Well, there's two there's only two observations you can make here. Either one, they're both dead, or two, they weren't followers of Jesus. Either way, Timothy's household living could not have been the greatest of circumstances. Either he grew up without a dad, or he grew up in a home where they had to hide who they were. And so let me just lean on you for a second. Any, any grandmas in the house? Okay. Is your work done with your grandkids? Any moms in the house? Is your work done with your grandkids or your kids? <laughs> yeah. Dad's in the house. Grandpa's in the house. Well, someday they write a letter about you being absent as a spiritual leader of your home. Because that's what Paul's saying here. Like your work with your family is never done. You always set the example for your kids. And if you choose not to, God is sovereign. But you will stand before him and say, why? Because you chose something else. 
You chose you. Are, are you tracking? And as I stand here, like the Lord, I cannot stand before the Lord and say, you know what? I chose something else. I chose basketball, football, basketball, hockey, like name it, Lord. Like I chose all those things instead of investing in my family. Like I will not do that. And I would implore you, do the same. And if you don't know how, stay here until they teach you. Because they will. You've got some awesome men of God who know how to make disciples here. And this is all this book is about. is not letting the gospel terminate on you. And not you being a non-player in the game. Are, are you with me? We move on. Verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Why does he say this? Would it help you if I told you that he told this to Timothy 25 times in two letters? 25 times he tells Timothy, don't be afraid. Like, here's the question. Like, why are we afraid? Like, the honest question is like, why are we afraid? In this story, what he's telling Timothy is, I'm betting Timothy is kind of wired like me. Like, he loves the flock. Like, he's this big-time shepherd, and he loves people. Loves them so much that he will not tell them the truth. Does it make sense? And so when I say that, when I say that he loves them so much he won't tell them the truth, he doesn't really love them that much. What's happening for Timothy is that he loves himself more because he's afraid to mess up the relationship. You know what I'm saying here? Are you following with me? Like we, we love people until the point of it doesn't want to mess up our relationship and so then we got to back off. When the truth is, is that if we really love them, we would fight for them. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, you've got to learn to fight for people. And, and here's, here's a good picture of this. Like, like in this story, like, like the way Paul rolls, like if you remember this, like do you remember Peter with a, when Peter made the confession that Jesus was the Lord of all? You remember that story? So Jesus says, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, man, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are Lord of all. And Jesus says to him, he's like, listen, there's no way you could have known that unless the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Like before Christ ever went to the cross, he was calling him Messiah. And Jesus says to him, he goes, on this, on this, on this confession, I will build my church. Now, if you follow Roman church out, like Paul, Peter becomes the first pope, all right? Now, here's the thing. If they are for us, they are not against us. Like, if they love Jesus, they are not against us. But here's where I would challenge that thinking just a little bit. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church that said there was this thing called papal infallibility, meaning that when the pope speaks on natures of the word, he can't be wrong, right? But here's the deal. Peter was sent to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. Like, he had this dream he said, hey, go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to them. And Peter does. But as Peter begins to go, as the things begin to cool off in his life, he finds himself in a congregation like this with Jew and Gentile, meaning that Gentiles were not Jews. And what would happen is when they would start having meals together, Peter would separate himself from the Gentiles and he would go sit with the Jews. And Paul himself stood up and said, Peter, you're being a racist. Like, you're being a racist. 
Like under the cross, there is no Gentile and Jew. So why do you shrink back from your Gentile brothers and hang with the Jews when they are believers in the cross just like you? Like there is no white, green, black, purple, Jew, Gentile. There's nothing except the cross that we all sit at. And he did this publicly. He didn't take him to the side. He did it in front of the entire congregation. And you know what Peter did? He confessed that what he was doing was wrong because he loved the Lord. And he confessed. He's like, you're right. He goes, I let people get to be too big in my life and I let God become too small even though I've walked with him. And that's what Peter's talking about. He's like, man, strengthen your shoulders. Like if you're going to pastor the flock, you've got to be stronger than this. Like you've got to be stronger. Like you've got to know the words that it roots deep in you so that you will know when the world is telling you one thing, but the scriptures need to tell you a different thing. Like, think about this. The reason we're scared most of the time is because our identity is found in things other than Jesus. Like, the reason we're afraid is because we believe people think this way or that way about us. Now, let me ask you this. How many crazy people do you know in your life? Why in the world do you let them tell us who we are? Like, how crazy are you? It makes no sense to let people tell us who we are when we know how crazy people are. The only sense that it makes is for Jesus to tell us who we are. We're clean. We're white. We can stand in the presence of a holy God. Our hands are holy. Like we are, we are, we are righteous before him. We are a holy nation and a royal priesthood. That's who we are. And we've been called out of our lives to walk in a way with him where we know him. And things become green where we go because he lives in us. That's who we are. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Don't be afraid. Like, know who you are. That's what he's doing, and he's writing all of this from the dark of prison. Yeah? Yeah. So we move on because it gets sweeter. And here's what he says. He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me in this prison, because I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says, don't be afraid. Like, here's the thing about the cross. In the Western church, we've whitewashed it so that it's very simple for you to come and hang out. Like, we think we've done something great by just attending church, and I would tell you, you're created for way more than that. Like, think about this. Like, if you watch this story, everybody's looking at Paul going, your life sucks, Paul. Like, your life sucks. And Paul's like, man, dude, I'm not no prisoner of Rome. Like, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. Think about this historically. Even though Rome has all the power at this point, where is Rome today? And where is God? God is still being preached, and Rome crumbled. And that's what Paul knew. And now you see it, yeah? And it gets even sweeter for you. Because this next text, that if you know Jesus, this next text is all for you. And here's what he says. He says, verse 9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Now, in your mind, you automatically think perfection, and that's not it. He's called you to be separate, all right? Simply separate. Following Christ, we screw up. Quit thinking that you got to be perfect, man. Jesus makes you perfect, not you. Yeah? Continuing on, here's what he says. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was giving you in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Did you get that? He handpicked you before he built the world. He handpicked you before he built the world so that you would know him. 
And he goes on and says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What is he saying here? Like, what does he mean? He means that apart from Christ, you die. That's what he means. But he says, with him, you taste immortality. Prior to Christ coming out of the grave, the Old Testament gave a very fuzzy picture of heaven. Like, you can read it. Like, it doesn't really give a clear picture of this. But after Jesus, they saw what a transformed body looked like. They saw what you and I will look like, like in the transfiguration. Like, they saw... Like, our, like we're going to look gleaming white, like they saw a glimpse of heaven, and then they watched Jesus come out of the grave and realized that death could not hold anyone that's in him. And so let me just kind of put it in this context, because he talks about this in John 8, when the Pharisees look at him and say, listen, listen, what do you mean you're never going to taste or see death? And Jesus says, listen, anyone who is in me will never taste or see death. And what he means by those two words, I'm not, I'm not sure. But they're two separate words. Taste means that you will actually partake of, and see means that you will behold it. And he says that anyone that's in me will never taste nor see, partake, behold, look upon. Whatever word you want to use, it's not going to happen to you. Somewhere along the line, like I don't know how this works, but he will come and get us out of our bodies. Like he will take us, like we will fall asleep. Like I don't know, but he says it's clearly like you will not see it taste it, partake in it, behold it, like it's not going to happen, like you are immortal. If you are in him, that's what his word says. And that's why he's telling Timothy, like, what are you afraid of? Like, what are you, what are you afraid of? Are you tracking? Because it gets even sweeter. And he says, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Verse 12, that is why I'm suffering. Because this gospel, when you become appointed as somebody who's going to carry the good news, as somebody who's going to teach the good news, that suffering comes with it. Either be it by the hand of God or not. Like it's part of the walk so that in it he will be glorified. Like a hundred years ago, they preached all the time that you run towards your suffering. But in our day and age, we run from it. But Jesus says, run into it and watch me work. Because when I do, you have a reason to come to Sunday. And when I do, you have a reason to invest in other people. And when I do, you will live for my glory. But you've got to run into it, not the other way around. And that's why Paul goes on to say this. At the end, he says, Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have trusted to him until that day. I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he's trustworthy to keep what I have given him. What did Paul give him? His life. The only thing that any man can do, he gave. He gave his life. It's the only thing you can do. And Paul says, listen, he goes, I'm confident that when I gave it to him, that he can entrust it and keep it because it's immortal, period. And I stand here before you telling you the same. I believe the same thing for my life. Like nothing can touch me until it's time to go home. Nothing can touch my wife until the Lord calls us home because we are immortal, here to do the work of his hands for the name of his glorious name until it's time for him to call us home. And I would say that I am not different than you. I am not different than you. 
I'm a sinner saved by grace who screws up every day, but I know in whom I have believed. Yeah? So why is this important for us? Why is what he talks about in here so important? Because if we start viewing the world through the gospel where we get screwed up, you've got to put the world to the side and view the gospel for what it says. The reason the church is in such dire straits in America is because we believe in this idea called the termination theory. You may say you don't believe in the termination theory, but we do. And what the termination theory is this, is like, I may come full of the Lord today because I've watched the Lord do some crazy things this week, and so I'm all kinds of fired up. And so I will come and I will pour it into you. And you will get fired up. But if you don't pour it into somebody else, you'll feel awesome today and like hell on Wednesday because it terminated in you. Make sense? It was never meant to terminate. When the gospel became real, it started with 120 people. In 2010, it was at 2.2 billion people. You know why? Because people said it will not terminate on me. Like what Christ has done for me has to be known for others. And some of you in this room, you're like, dude, I totally get that. And some of you are like, man, I'm not ready to walk away from my sin. And I would say there will come a time when you will, and this church will be here. This church will be here. But it was never meant to terminate on you. This Western mindset of church is not the way it was supposed to be. Amazon's moving in, and all these things can happen. But here's the deal. Like, what's one easy step for this? Open up your house. You're like, oh, not my house. Not my house. I'm like, man, that's how the gospel moved in the early days. They just moved into a house. Like, open it up. Invite your neighbor over to eat with you. And if you're scared, do it with somebody that you trust. If you're like, Chris, I don't know how to invest my life into others, stay here until they can train you how, because they will. You've got some excellent disciple makers in this church. But here's the thing, unless you choose to engage in it, you'll never live a life that's abundant. Let me me just kind of play this out for you on, on how this works out. Ten years ago, when I didn't know anything about disciple making, here's my life. Attend church on Sunday, read my Bible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, go to work, do my best to live it out, but I'm following the American dream with Jesus. Like, I'm doing all of these things because I'm going to retire early, and I love the Lord because nobody's taught me anything different except to love him and follow the American dream. And so one day on a Tuesday, I'm sitting there with this guy named Philip. Now, Philip, I was a, I should back up and probably let you know that I was a radiology director for a long time in this cardiology clinic. And so there was a guy named Philip there who was like, he was probably five years hired before I was, but we'd worked together for probably about seven or eight. Philip was the man. He was, like, he was like the nurse practitioner of nurse practitioners. There was like 20 nurse practitioners. He was the head of all of them. He, he worked side by side with the best physician we had there. But somewhere around 2006, his life began to fall apart. And I, I didn't really know it. I could just see it. And so on this particular Tuesday, it had been a year and a half of him just kind of going backwards, like being removed from his positions and this. I'm with him all day on a Tuesday, just out of the blue. And I'm like, man, I know he's sad. Should I say something to him? Should I not say something? Should I... Should I talk to him, you know, like we're at work, you know, should I ask him to go get something to eat? And like, ah, man, I got, I got to mow, I, I got stuff I got to do. So on this day, on this Tuesday, I've got him all day, and I know he's sad, I know he's depressed, and I say nothing to him, nothing. 48 hours later, man, he, his life would be taken by his own hand. And so I'd go to the funeral, and I would act like a fool because I'm trying to digest, like, should I have, should I not have, should I, like, you know, that whole story to the Lord became sovereign in that matter. Let me fast forward just a few 
years where I learned how to make disciples who can make disciples. Like to actually pour my life into somebody in a way where they could pour their life into somebody else. So if you know my wife, like we're, we're walking through this series of like um, cancer, right? And so in this season, you know, she's taking chemo every Thursday and she just kind of made the decision. She's like, listen, she was like, our lives are a testimony to people and so we need to do what we believe in and that's making disciples. Like we need to do this. Like in this series, like in this season, despite this, like we need to make disciples. And so you know what we did? We made a list of people on a whiteboard and we began to pray and fast and seek God on who he wanted us to invite into our home. And so out of that, we invited eight people into our house. Okay? And so they started coming over on Wednesdays. We're, we're new at this. Right off the bat, we realized we had some people in there who didn't know Christ. And so as we're unpacking scripture, like we're, we're giving them our nights, like Rachel gets chemo on Thursday, so we started doing this on Wednesday nights so that we make sure we felt good by the time Wednesday rolled back around. And so we're in there, and we're like, we're just unpacking some scripture, just the power of the word, because it's where it all comes from. And one day, we're walking through Luke 10, 18 with this guy, and he says to me, he says, is that text, is that verse, is that scripture, is that for me? And I said, man, great question, because I know he never crossed the line of faith. And so I hand him my Bible, I hand him, I hand him John 3, which is about being born again, and he reads it. He's right there in the blue shirt, and he reads John chapter 3. And as he reads it, the Spirit begins to illuminate his eyes so that he can understand what he's reading, and I'm witnessing a miracle right there on my floor. He begins to weep, and he's like, man, so that's what's up. I'm like, that's what's up. And he's like, guys, I just, I can't do this. I can't do this. We're like, okay, no problem. We finish up the, the night. One of the girls that's in the group, she comes up to me and she goes, hey, can I have a sidebar with you? I'm like, you bet. So this, one of the girls that we invited in her life, she goes, he may not be ready, but I am. She goes, I'm ready. She goes, I'm, I'm tired of messing with this. I'm all in. Somebody baptize me. I'm like, man, that's a fantastic idea. And so last, Saturday, last Sunday, we would baptize the girl. And guess who I put in the tank with me? The girl, that's the girl that got baptized right there in the white. And guess who helped me baptize her? That guy that was in the blue. You know what happened 24 hours later? The Lord revealed Acts 2 to him, and he came to Christ at work. He called me up. I mailed him on Wednesday. He's like, dude, here's the deal. He's like, I'm all in. Like, his face had changed. Like, the grace of God was in him. He's like, he goes, I'm getting baptized. My wife's getting baptized. My kids are getting baptized. Like, my whole household, my dad's getting baptized. I'm like, hold up, bro. Hold up. Like, it's not really how it works that way. He's like, man, I said, you remember when we didn't force it on you? It's like, you can't force it on them either. He's like, well, how will they know? Like, how will they know if I don't tell them? I'm like, you simply show them. Just show them. Like, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here, and they will know. That was on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night. He comes in, tells the entire disciple group that he's given his life to Christ. His wife is bawling in the corner. She's like, I'm trying to figure out how not to be the leader anymore. I'm like, you will. Because the Lord is not too small to save his people. And so they leave the group and they leave and they're like, dude, you have no idea. Like, you have no idea how great you're blessing us. And I'm like, here's the deal. You have no idea how much you're blessing me. Like, this is abundant life. Like, I'm watching the Lord blow his people up and I'm, a, I'm just a bystander, helping them along the way. And Trisha's like, like, he's like, man, he goes, like, how am I supposed to? I'm like, just walk with me and let me show you. He's like, man, he goes, don't quit on me. I'm like, bro, you don't quit on me. I was like, I'll teach you how to be the parent of your house. I'll teach you how to lead your family. 
I'll teach you how to study the word. Like, I'll show you. Just like Paul did to Timothy. And one day I'll probably call you my dear son. And this is not far from you. Like, you think I get fired up about the gospel? Wait till you see me on discipling group night. Like, I'm fired up because I see Jesus all around me. All around me. Despite what we walk through. Like, he's even in that. Like, my wife has grown closer to the Lord in the last year than I've seen her grow in the last three because the suffering has caused her to love him more. To the point where she's been invited to speak at a conference next week, and you know what? They're going to get a full dose of Jesus from her. Just like we want to give you. Because he's worth it. Just like Paul said, he's like, he's worth it. And now you can read his word. And he's like, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone in this body, for kings and all authorities, that we would live in peace with one another. And then you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of these witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. And everyone in this house said, it's not that far away, I promise. All you need is a heart that's willing to learn and a, and, a, and a heart that will stick. Stay here. Learn how to disciple. Casey, Pete, Casey in the back, all these men in the back, like they're fixing to be released to show you how to live a balanced life with the gospel where you don't burn out and freedom rings not only in your life but in the places you go. Stay. Quit being scared. Like, if your next step is to come to know Jesus, then put him on. Quit standing around the back like, you're, like your arms are crossing. Like, put him on. Like, there's freedom on the other side of that. And when you have, get baptized. Like, feel the power of what God does when you follow his obedience. Like, roll this tank up back here. Like, praise his holy name for him saving his people's life. Or stand on the sideline because that life is working so well for you, right? right? Man, nobody loves you more than Casey does here. I preach for the glory of God. I love him more than I love you because I don't know you well. But I will tell you this. Casey loves you. Pete loves you. These guys, they love you. These women, this church, Helen loves you. Helen gave up all the rights to this place so that you would be here. Like you're standing on her shoulders. Make it count. Like make it count won't regret it. Shackled in chains, put in a cell, walking like you won't regret it because you can know the one in whom you believed and you can entrust that what you give him, he will take care of and he will guard and he will make it so much better than what you ever thought you could, yeah? God, you are good. Like, Lord, let us put down the American dream and come away with you. Like, Lord, it makes no sense to us, but it's so close that we can touch it. We can touch it, God. Lord, like, grow up Amanda Lord on this front row. Like, continue to grow her. Like, let her pastor well here. God, you are good. Thank you for the power of your name. Thank you for preaching for the glory of your name. But I thank you for the power of your word. You entrusted that to us. 
and let us do the same with our lives. Everyone in this house said...